Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content weekly on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Courtside Podcast as we are going back to the weekend of the first round games that we saw. Majority of teams played their third and fourth game over the weekend, and we'll be going right now exactly where we are in the series as of Monday, April 25th of 2022, and as well the insane series that we're seeing out west where we have about three of them being two and two all tied up, and a majority of them are underdog stories. And also, we're going to talk about at the end of this podcast exactly the Devin Booker effect and how that might affect Phoenix going into the first round against the Pelicans tied up. And then Ben Simmons, what's going on with Brooklyn right now? The only team that has not won a single game so far in the NBA playoffs. But first, let's summarize what we saw over the weekend, going first to the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks series right now, who... Going into Game 3, Miami was leading 2-0 on top of the series, having two dominant games in Miami. And everyone thought this was going to be an easy sweep. I thought it was going to be done in about three and a half business days. It looks like Atlanta said otherwise as they take a win at Game 3, winning that one 111-110 to over the Miami Heat. And that one itself was more or less just Trey Young actually showing up in these playoffs. Uh, he, as I said before in the last podcast, he's trying to figure out what Coach Spo has against him, what they're going to be doing against him defensively, and it looks like Trey figured it out. He only got 24 points in this one, which is a little bit lower than expected coming out of the uh, scoring leader for the NBA. However, still 6-14, and 14, shooting about 43% from the field. He actually went 2-6 and six from 3, so it wasn't his best game, but at the same time, at least he was contributing. And speaking of contributing, the rest of that starting five of Atlanta was on the money that night, Herder, Hunter, and Gallinari all had double digits. Herder with 13, Hunter with 17, of course, Gallinari with 11 points. And off the bench, Bogdanovich, 18 points in this one, 8 rebounds and 6 assists, and an impressive 2 steals, which you really don't really see out of Bogdanovich from defensive standpoint. Was shooting about 40% from the field, but still... 4-9 from 3. So he was really great offensively from the arc. And then, of course, in that game, we had a little bit of a more of a struggle from the Miami Heat in this third one. Max Drews had about 20 points of shooting better than 50% from the field. Bam and Abayo was actually 5-9 from the field and ended up finishing with 13 points. But Jimmy Butler was 8-20 in this game, right? P.J. Tucker, 11 points with 4-6, and six, about 66.7% from the field. But at the same time, Kyle Lowry... Only six points with about 28, 29% from the field before he had to get out of the game. Shot about two and seven. So this team itself, besides Tyler Hero coming off the bench with 24 points, wasn't really doing much against Atlanta, but it was still neck to neck all the way down to the last minute. And Trey Young off a floater got the last shot up for Atlanta, which ended up winning that game against a game that Miami just looked like they were a little bit off. But of course, same thing with DeRozan in game one, going back to game two in that Bulls and in a Buck series, Miami decided, hey, we need to get back to our number one seed type of basketball and finish off this Atlanta Hawk group in Atlanta. And that's exactly what Miami did in the first quarter on Sunday against the Atlanta Hawks. The Miami Heat were neck and neck in the first quarter against Atlanta, which was actually down by one point. Atlanta leading that one 26 to 25 in the first quarter in game four. But then the Miami Heat exploded in the second quarter, going on a about 30 to 15 point differential in the second quarter, and then went on a 20-0 run in the third, with the Miami Heat actually going on to blow out this Atlanta team at home 
110 to 86. And now they'll go back to Miami on Tuesday to see if the Miami Heat can actually finish it in five. And look at the box scores for that one. Jimmy Butler was back at it. 36 points, 10 rebounds. He got himself a double-double. All five starters on that Miami Heat team were in double digits. The bench looked a little bit suspect. Tyler Hero didn't have the best game he could have, about 1-8. and eight. But at the same time, Victor Oladipo was in the game. And I think just Victor Oladipo being some sort of minutes, I mean, he ended up getting about 23 minutes, finished with 6 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists. But he was shooting about 30% from the field, was 3-10. and 10. Still, it's nice to see that some of these guys are getting minutes from the Miami Heat. And actually, a majority of their bench was scoring points. The only players that didn't really score at all was Morris Lowry and Udonis Haslam, which basically two of them facing injuries. And one of them, I mean, you know, UD probably averages about two minutes per season now. <laughs> so the Miami Heat were all involved, all scoring. And then, of course, Trey Young was capitalized as the number one reason for the Miami Heat to play defense that night. Trey finished with nine points and was 3-11 from the field. And the way they played defense on him was aggressive. I liked it. Only DeAndre Hunter got anything going for Atlanta. He had 24 points for the night, shooting about almost 70% from the field. But everybody else, I mean, Collins had 11, right? Besides Collins, Hunter, everybody else on that team only scored in, in single digits. And everybody was shooting probably less than 40% from the field that day. So Atlanta definitely got outclassed in game four as they will go back to Miami for Game 5 to see what they can do in that series. And the next off, we have Philadelphia versus Toronto. And that Philadelphia-Toronto series has gone a little bit more interesting now. They ended up actually winning Game 4. Toronto did 110-102 to over the Philadelphia 76ers. And this was a game where, as I said before in the last podcast, after Toronto lost Game 3, they still had that mindset that, hey, we just got to get 1 of 4 and keep it going day by day. Toronto looks like they're on the right track for that as they won that one, 110-102. And a very close matchup that was kind of going back and forth, even in the last five minutes of that game. But Toronto, Pascal Siakam, 34 points in this one and shooting about 52-53% to 53% from the field. Trent Jr., phenomenal player getting to himself 24 points in this game with less than 40 minutes and I mean I have to say even though he was 8 and 20 from the field I mean he looked like he was doing better than anybody else out there Ananobi 11 points Fred Van Vliet played only about 15 to 14 minutes in this one only shot 2 and 6 from the field not much to talk from him but then I mean Precious 5 points Bouchard 9 you know, Thaddeus Young, he got himself 13 off the bench, so that's not bad. But I think that Pascal Siakam and the defense of Toronto against this Philadelphia 76ers team was probably the main reason why they even got out with the win in this one in Game 4. As, of course, James Harden, 22 points in this one, 9 assists and 5 rebounds. As I said before, he's more of a point guard now than an actual scoring guard. But at the same time, he was 5-17 and 17 from the field. Less than 30% from the field for James Harden in this game. Maxi. Less than 35% from the field in this game. Joel Embiid ended up finishing out with 21 points, but at the same time, less than 50% from this game. So, in reality, the starting five, besides Tobias Harris, who ended up having about 58% from the field, who only scored 15 points, got a double-double with 11 rebounds, they weren't really doing much offensively. It was more of an off night. Even the bench themselves, the bench didn't even get more than 30 points coming off them. And they were shooting efficiency, you know, 
We had a couple of guys that were shooting 75% or better from the field off the bench. But in reality, they weren't really doing much. You know, if you only have like less than 30 points coming off the bench, it's going to be really hard if your starting lineup isn't giving you about, you know, a guaranteed 60 or 70. So Toronto ends up winning that one, and they'll look to at least try to scratch themselves back into this series. The next one out of these, Chicago and Milwaukee, and this is actually very interesting just because I thought that Milwaukee was in danger going one-on-one, going into Chicago for Game 3. Milwaukee ended up blowing out Chicago in both games on home court. That, I found, was surprising. Game 3, Milwaukee went berserk. They ended up winning that one 111-81. to I believe the box score itself in like the first quarter was already a blowout. In the first quarter, the Bucks were leading 33-17 to in that Game 3 and then did not give up a lead afterwards. I mean, you know, blowing out in the third quarter, blow out the first quarter. We have the Bucks having Giannis Antetokounmpo with only 18 points. However, Bobby Portis, 18 points. Drew Holiday, 16 points. Allen, Grayson Allen, 22 points. And this guy is actually becoming a sharpshooter of himself as he went 5-7 and seven from the field that day. From three. And I kid you not, Grayson Allen is the next Cal Corver. Guarantee that right now. But Chicago in that game, you know, DeRozan with 11, Levine with 15, and Vucevic with 19, who was actually the leading scorer for that Chicago team in game three. But at the same time, only about three people on that Chicago Bulls team that was playing in that game shot better than 50% from the field. And mind you, those three people were on the bench. Derrick Jones Jr., Tristan Thompson, Bradley, the only players in this entire game that even got 50% or more for better on the field goal percentage, and they weren't even getting like crazy minutes in this one. So Chicago was missing a lot of shots in that one, and they just got blown out of the water. And then the next game, the exact same thing happened. The Bucks winning game four, 119-95 over the Chicago Bulls. Chicago drops two games at home. And now they're in real risk of losing that game five and being out of the postseason. And that game four, we saw a much better stat line from Giannis Antetokounmpo that we're more familiar with. 32 points and 17 rebounds. Drew Holiday actually came back and got himself 26 points. And Drew has been a little bit slow in this playoff series. However, he's starting to pick up the fire a little bit now. And Grayson Allen, again, I mind you, he's the next Kyle Korver. 6-7 and seven from the field in Game 4 for 3-point, and 10-12 and 12 overall from the field. Shooting better than 80%. He ended up having 27 points off the bench. Now that is ridiculous. Don't let Allen get hot. I guarantee you right now, if Grayson Allen is becoming this Kyle Corver player, which I'm expecting him to become, he's going to dominate in the playoffs coming off the bench. And Chicago themselves, they actually did a little much better game between the duo of Zach Levine and DeRozan. Both of them had 23 and 24 points. But at the same time, the bench, it didn't even give you more than 20 points off the bench. So it was a really inefficient night from the bench that time. And they really needed it as they got blown out twice at home and are in threat of getting out of the postseason for Game 5 in Milwaukee. Next series coming out the East, the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets series. Now, right now, Boston has took Game 3 in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, and I kid you not, a 3-0 hole. The Boston Celtics are leading over the Brooklyn Nets in this series, and it looks like what we expected to be a marquee matchup has looked like an absolute stunner of a blowout. 
the Brooklyn Nets, I can't even describe exactly how on earth they've you know deflated themselves. But Steve Nash, it looks like he's can't coach anybody. It looks like he's just watching the game as every other fan is. All the spectators are probably at the same level of coaching style that Steve Nash is playing right now. The Nets have not found an answer to face off against this Boston Celtics defense yet as Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are still struggling in this series. And mind you, in Game 3 on Saturday, this was Brooklyn's probably top scorer, again being Bruce Brown. For the second time in the road, Bruce Brown has led this team in scoring. At the same time, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both go for about 45 to 43 minutes in this game and only both contribute 16 points each and both of them having a poor shooting performance Kevin Durant you could say you can argue a little bit was shooting about 54 to 55% from the field but at the same time Kyrie shooting about 35% for the field and Curry Seth Curry which I thought was going to be a huge part in this series I mean maybe even the difference maker only getting himself 10 points almost going for 35 minutes in this game and then actually Steve Nash, midway through the third quarter, I believe, was trying to at least match something up to show that, hey, you know, let's put something in there to make something brand new. He brings in Blake Griffin, who hasn't played for about two to three weeks for this huge playoff game for the Brooklyn Nets at home. And he actually does pretty well. Within about seven minutes and 52 seconds, Blake Griffin got himself eight points and was shooting 50% from the field and actually two and three from the three-point line which is phenomenal to see from a guy off the bench finally in this game. But at the same time, the Boston Celtics, they started off weak as usual in this series, but they kept it going throughout the second quarter. They had a lead and they never let it go ever since the first quarter. They ended up winning this one 109 to 103 due to the fact that Jason Tatum was on fire in this game and Jalen Brown was actually picking himself up offensively which is actually something that we have to say is probably hasn't happened in this series yet. We haven't seen some crazy numbers out of any of the Boston Celtics superstars. But Jason Tatum in this game, 39 points in this one. And believe it or not, he only shot about 44 to 45% from the field in this one. Had a terrible three-point chance, was 4-13 from three. However, at the same time, 29 shot attempts. So that just tells you that Tatum was getting his looks so Tatum ended up having a fantastic scoreboard of 39 points and an incredible game attack in the basket. And then Jalen Brown was actually going back and forth with Blake Griffin in that third quarter as he made a couple of clutch threes. He actually was 1-4 from the three-point line, but that didn't look like the case. He was actually 9-16 overall in the game. But the defense of the Boston Celtics continued to dominate this Brooklyn Nets team. And not even that, I mean, Rob Williams the third. The time lord, as they call them. He only finished with about two points. You know, he's still coming off of that meniscus injury. So they gave him kind of a limitation on minutes. He wasn't starting in this game. Played about 15 minutes and 34 seconds in this one. But still, the only two points that he got were probably the best two points you would like to see out of a guy coming off an injury. It was a lot pass, and he slammed it right over the heads of Andre Drummond. So that definitely means that he's probably good and healthy and the Brooklyn Nets, who actually play today, Monday, the 25th of April, at 7 o'clock on TNT, are facing a possible sweep and what we should have expected from a marquee matchup. And now we go to the West. The Western Conference is very, very entertaining right now. But first, let me get right out of the gate with the Golden State 
and the Denver Nuggets series, who is now 3-1. and one. Denver was actually in prime position to get swept right now because, you know, they ended up losing game three, 118-113 against the Golden State Warriors to, again, Curry coming off of the bench and still giving you a huge amount of points. Jordan Poole giving you a huge amount of points. Klay Thompson, huge amount of points. And Jokic did everything he could, and he couldn't get it done in game three. But in game four, the tide shifted. The Denver Nuggets ended up winning that game for 126-121 over the Golden State Warriors to continue this series and at least scrape something out of it. And I mind you, this Denver team was actually efficient from the field. Jokic, 37 points in this one. However, Morris, 24 points in this one, shooting better than 60% from the field. Highland Bones, 15 points off the bench, and he was shooting about 50% from the field. I kid you not, DeMarcus, even DeMarcus Cousins, he got 10 points in about 10 minutes of play. And it was 100% from the field. So this time, this team from Denver was actually fighting for it. And the crazy thing about it, they only won by 5 points. And mind you, Golden State didn't have the best game of the season. Jordan Poole, he had about 11 points and only shooting 30% from the field, which is actually something we don't really see out of Jordan Poole in this series because he's just getting himself 25 points a night. So Jordan Poole was off in the midday Sunday game. Andrew Wiggins had 20 points in this one. The first time All-Star this season was shooting better than 56% from the field. Draymond Green got a little bit of himself on the buckets. Got a double-double with 13 points and 11 rebounds. Klay Thompson with 32. And Curry, 33 points off the bench again. But besides Curry off the bench, they've only had about 10 points coming off them. Kaminga with 9 and Porter Jr. with only 1 point. So in reality, this was a close game, but at the same time, if the bench, besides Curry, of course, was even knocking down some of the shots, they could have easily won this game. I mean, Andre Iguodala went 0-3 from the field in this one. If Andre even made two of those, it would have been an easily a one-possession game, and still, you know, probably you can argue that maybe the Warriors could have battled it out, but of course... Besides Stephen Curry in this one, the bench did not pull through. Jordan Poole had an 11-point game, but they looked to finish that off for Game 5 in Golden State on Wednesday. And now I take you to the part of this podcast where we have to talk about the insane series out West. Three series out West are 2-2 two and two tied after four games. The Phoenix Suns against the New Orleans Pelicans... The Dallas Mavericks versus the Utah Jazz in the Minnesota Timberwolves against the Memphis Grizzlies, which I thought would be probably the most even series in the Western Conference just because of the power that Minnesota is coming in from the play-in. And to start us off with those series, I'm going straight into the Phoenix one. I actually saw the game last night. The New Orleans Pelicans playing at home for Game 4 look phenomenal in that game as they ended up winning that one 118-103 to in that fourth quarter, they ended up having 34 points, and that was a huge help from the defense that we saw from New Orleans that would not back down. Jose Alvarado, phenomenal player out of Georgia Tech. Probably the best rookie out there right now for that team in New Orleans, which is kind of crazy to say just because, I mean, I mean, what's the kid's name? I mean, you, you almost forget it every single time here and there just because he's a rookie, and I mean... You don't even think about it. But let's see if I can find it here. Oh, yes. Herb Jones. How can I forget? Herb Jones, who could 
possibly argue for him could be first team all NBA rookie. He ended up going with 35 minutes, but 13 points in this one, right? About 3-7 and seven from the field, but at the same time, a majority of his points came off of steals from this New Orleans Pelicans defense. Alvarado got a bunch of steals. He actually had Chris Paul on his list. He ended up getting Chris Paul behind him and forcing an 8-second violation as well. So, in this game overall, I mean, we're talking about a Pelicans team that it's full blast. Defense looks phenomenal. A bunch of young guys. And Brandon Ingram going 30 points in this game. CJ McCollum, 18. Jones, 13, as I said before. And Vucevic, an impressive 26 points and 15 rebounds. And Vucevic looking like this almost like, you know, five years ago when he was on Toronto. He looks pretty good. Shooting about 6% from the field. Majority of his points in the post. And then, of course, on the bench, we have, you know, Nance Jr. As I said before, Alvarado, who had about two steals in this game. One of them against Chris Paul, who was on his list. And they look absolutely phenomenal. I think they were looking like a swarm of bees out there, just playing great defense, real aggressive. And then the Phoenix Suns were just trying to keep up in this game. Mikhail Bridges, eight points, about playing about 41 minutes in this one. Chris Paul, four points in this one, shooting about 25% from the field, two and eight from the field, exactly. I mean, sure, Chris Paul got you 11 assists. He was still effective in this game, but he looked terrible offensively. Probably the only player that I thought that was even putting up any real numbers or any type of fight in the offense of that Suns team was probably DeAndre Aiden. 23 points in that one. And mind you, shooting 11 and 14 from the field, about 78 to 79%. Now, he looked phenomenal in that game, but at the same time, everybody else looks lackluster. I mean... The entire Phoenix Suns roster could go back and forth in New Orleans, but they got to actually make their shots. And mind you, in Game 3, it was a close one. 114-111 in Game 3, the Suns won that one. However, at the same time, New Orleans was packing a punch back and forth. All right, Chris Paul had 28 in that one with DeAndre Aiden having the exact same amount of points in Game 3 back and forth. And with Devin Booker out, they need DeAndre Aiden to step up with Chris Paul. Because if they don't have at least a back and forth between two players, especially from your front court and back court, your bench has to build in. And honestly, I don't see a lot of guys on the bench of the Phoenix Suns that can actually give you like a huge amount of points that can even make a difference. Unless you want to say Shamit, but in reality, Shamit might not even give you 15 points off the bench. JaVale McGee has been showing off a little bit more here and there. I mean, he had 15 points in Game 3, and then he was pretty good in Game 4 as well. Uh, JaVale McGee ended up having 14 in that one, so he's giving you a little bit of an efficiency there. But at the same time, no Devin Booker, so you don't have that offensive piece. And it looks like New Orleans is building off of that and taking advantage as they go into Game 5 in Phoenix, which will be a hard one for New Orleans, no doubt about that. But there is a real possibility right now with the Phoenix Suns looking like they're kind of lacking something right now. Could be that Devin Booker offense could just because they're not having it in their spirit. But it looks like they're in real threat right now. So I'm calling it right now. We have an upset alert in full effect in that Phoenix Suns and New Orleans Pelicans series. And then how about the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves series? That one is a real entertaining piece. As I said before in the last podcast, John Morant, who put that last dance clip of Michael Jordan in the baseball back, talking about trash talk and whatnot being down in the series. They end up winning two straight, winning game two and game three. And the game three in Minnesota was insane because the Grizzlies 
I mean, they were down 25 twice in that game. Minnesota Timberwolves had two leads back and forth in that game of more than double digits, more than 20 in that one. And somehow, some way, they ended up scoring only 12 points in the second quarter, which gave up their lead in the first time. And then in the fourth quarter, when you thought the game was over, Minnesota did the same exact thing. They scored only 12 in that one, were shooting horribly from the field. And the Memphis Grizzlies moving the ball around with Bain and, of course, John Morant getting at it. They had 37 points alone as a team in that fourth quarter and ended up winning that game 104-95. And mind you, as I said before, Bain was phenomenal in that game, 26 points off of 40 minutes of play. And, yeah, sure, you can say 8-19 from the field, but 7-15 from three. He was getting his shots up. Definitely getting his shots up. Plus, Clark, 20 points off the bench. I mean, you can't forget about that. But I mind you, it's a tied series. So that means that the Memphis Grizzlies could not overcome the Timberwolves at home for game four. And that one is actually a real close one. Um, you know, even the box score says 119-118 with Minnesota winning over the Grizzlies. But at the same time, you know... Minnesota was holding off a lead in that fourth quarter and it looked like it was going to be evaporating away as the Grizzlies kept on scoring in the last couple of minutes. But this was an aggressive game and angry Carl Anthony Towns is a fierce Carl Anthony Towns as he ended up getting himself with a huge amount for his about 42 minutes and 25 seconds in this game. 33 points and 14 rebounds. Shooting about 48 to 47% from the field. And Patrick Beverly, 17 points in this one. Anthony Edwards, 24 points in this one. I mean, even Vanderbilt got himself some numbers. 12 points and 8 rebounds. Only 2 away from a double-double. And D'Angelo Russell was a little bit of a struggle in this one. He was about 3-12 and 12 in this game. About shooting 25% from the field. 2-6 and six from 3. Finished it off with only 10 points. But 7 assists. He was moving the ball around. And McLaughlin off the bench, 16 points. They didn't get anything else from the bench besides McLaughlin, 16. But still, Minnesota in their starting five was clicking on all sides. And then, of course, Bain, 34 points again, is probably going to be the leading scorer for this Memphis Grizzlies team as he's getting a lot of these looks. It looks phenomenal out there. He doesn't look like the type of guy that gives you 30 a game, but I do mind you. It doesn't matter about the looks. It matters about does he get the actual three-point shot up. How is he moving around the wings? The off-ball move from Memphis. So the Grizzlies, they lose that one in game four as the Minnesota Timberwolves take one game at home here. And now they'll go back to Memphis to hopefully try to take over a series. Either team, this can go any way right now. I mean, both of these teams look like every single game is entertaining. They both have the exact same mentality. It's two young teams that don't have enough playoff experience where really anybody can fold under the pressure of the postseason. And not even that. I mean, you know, we have a bunch of protesters going on and off the court, which is about every single game. And I guess this is against the Minnesota Timberwolves owner who apparently had a chicken farm that went into flames, which killed a bunch of uh, chickens, unfortunately. And this has brought activists to every single game to protest on the court and in front of the other fans. I mean, in game one, there was an uh, activist with Elmer's glue trying to stick her hand to the floor with some words of activism on her shirt. Game two or game three, I believe. Actually, my apology. Game three, we had somebody that was out there chaining themselves under the rim, under the basket, for about three minutes until somebody noticed her and broke her out of the stadium. And then in this game four that we had over the weekend, there was a lady that was there on the sideline eyeing the court and actually had somebody besides her who pulled out a phone where they were about to record something 
and there's a security guard you probably see the footage of this on twitter or whatever you get your social media from but there's a security guard there that's eyeing them the entire time and i kid you not when this lady ran out into the court to do whatever she had to do this security guard did a textbook tackle. I'm telling you right now, straight to the waist, you know, shoulder on there, not using any of her, his head. Tackled this lady straight to the ground in a phenomenal job from the security guard over there at the Target Center. Unfortunately, I don't have the name of the security guard, but I have to say personally, if he ever hears this, I just want to congratulate you on a great tackle and a great job out there securing the court during playoff time. And apparently it was shown in images afterwards that this activist that was running onto the court in game four had a mimicked referee jersey and what was being talked about is that there was potential that this lady if she was successful in what she was about to do was going to take off whatever jacket she had to show off this referee jersey and tee up the timberwolves owner to actually say that hey your technical foul because of what have you done and what your company has done but of course that didn't happen last night as the Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies are now 2-2 two and two in their series. And the last bit, before we go into the other part of this podcast, the Mavericks and the Utah Jazz. Over the weekend, they played game four in this one. And let me tell you, Utah, I'm not too positive exactly what's going on right now with them because they are, of course, a number one efficient offense during the year. Dolphin Mitchell's phenomenal. They have a three to four time defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert you think they would have something going on but these games are like close and they're just not finishing the average Mavericks were leading 2-1 going to game four against Utah the other day and Utah barely scraped away with this one they win game four 100 to 99 over the Dallas Mavericks and mind you this was actually the return of Luka Doncic who's coming back from a calf strain so Luka Doncic comes back in this one, his first playoff game of 2022, he ends up finishing this one with 30 points and 10 rebounds. And it's only six assists away from a triple-double. So I mind you, an impressive, real fucking phenomenal from Luka Doncic, who goes up 11-21 and 21 with 50% from the field. As the same goes for Brunson, who was giving you 41 in Game 2, 31 in Game 3. He slowed it down a little bit in this one. 23 points in this one, was shooting about... 38 to 39 percent from the field the bench of dallas was not really clicking at all uh, there was nobody that got more than 25 percent from the field off the bench even spencer dinwiddie was struggling as he went on to have a five point night with about 24 minutes of play in that one and then utah real fight in them in this game four let me tell you that right now donovan mitchell with 23 points in this one and jordan clarson off the bench the scoring leader for the Utah Jazz in Game 4, 25 off the bench in this one with 56% from the field. And this one, as I said before, is going down the wire with Luka's return, despite his return and finishing with about a double-double there. The Utah Jazz on the last play brought Donovan Mitchell going off to the right wing off a pick-and-roll to Rudy Gobert for a lob slam. And that was electric to see the Utah Jazz fans actually doing something for once actually cheering for their team as they've been kind of struggling at home over the postseason so that series goes two and two as they go back to dallas and that basically summarizes the weekend that we saw from the postseason and the insane series that we see out west with all these teams going two and two 
I mean, there's a lot of things going on. However, the one thing I'm going to be finishing off this podcast right now is the Ben Simmons woes of the Brooklyn Nets. Ben Simmons, which was said to be in Game 4 on Monday today, basically, I think before this weekend even happened, before Game 3, he has now been ruled out due to back soreness and will not be playing for Game 4. And this, I have to say, has been getting a lot of attention from the media because nobody knows exactly what is going on with Ben Simmons. Is he actually hurt? Does he actually want to come back and play? Or is he just trying to get a quick buck off the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, he's still trying to get his $25 million off of the Philadelphia 76ers, even though he hasn't even played a single game during this entire regular season. So it's real questionable right now what's going on with Ben Simmons. A lot of people are saying that, you know, he's a cheap. You know, he's trying to get something out of nothing. But in reality, I just think that it's just his injury. But... I mean, the Brooklyn Nets shouldn't be playing around with injury reports because this will get fans riled up on Twitter. No doubt in my mind. And speaking of which, I actually saw from the Brooklyn Nets practice facility, there's one report from a writer for, I believe, the Sports New York, for the uh, Daily Times or Daily News, I believe, that he showed basically a picture of the Brooklyn Nets facility on Sunday. It almost looked like the last day of high school going to summer break there was nobody there you saw Andre Drummond getting a couple of shots in but there was no Kyrie Irving there was no Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons wasn't even taking shots in this game I mean my apologies in this practice so I don't know what's exactly going on it's almost like the spirits of the Brooklyn Nets is gone I'm not too positive if we're even going to see anybody even perform today for Brooklyn I mean who knows of course I you know Kyrie and KD will show up on the court that day but the real question is will it be the Kyrie and KD that we expect to see is it going to be a 34 35 point game coming out of Kyrie is Kevin Durant even going to be shooting better than 50% from the field and ends up actually winning it I mean Kevin Durant hasn't even broke 25 points in this series for any of the games and this is actually really interesting because the Boston Celtics defense is phenomenal the best in the NBA coming out of the regular season and looks like that going through the postseason so far in this first series but I mean this was supposed to be a marquee matchup and whatever is going to happen I mean Kyrie Irving might even be a free agent the Brooklyn Nets right now are looking at more issues for the offseason than they are even for the playoffs so I just think the spirit's gone in Brooklyn and I don't really believe that they're going to even have Ben Simmons to even fix that for the next year and who knows if Kyrie's even coming back who knows but with that being said, that finishes off our episode 9 here with the Courtside Podcast. I want to thank you again for joining in and look after for our next episode on Friday, as we usually do episodes on Monday and Friday. If you're new to the podcast, please subscribe and rate this one on Spotify. And I'll see you guys on the next one.